2: I'm here with uh, Vansh. How are you doing, man?
3: Doing great. Um, and it's been a lot of great tennis um, the past couple of months with the French Open and Wimbledon, and it's nice to go look back and reflect on it a little bit.
2: Yeah, and got a little bit of rest, to be honest, too, right? Ever since, like, it's been a lot of big tournaments in history to be made. And uh, today we have a, a good friend of the pod by now, and uh, a person that we all admire here. It's... Um, He's coming fresh from the Newport uh, Hall of Fame. And it's Steve Flink. How are you doing, Steve?
1: I'm uh, doing fine, Andre. Uh, it's hard to believe that, uh, that we've, we've gotten through those last two majors. T- it's, it's all gone by very quickly. And then straight from Wimbledon, there's always that weekend after Newport for the Hall of Fame festivities. So it's an exciting time of the year with the US Open not that far around the corner.
2: Yeah. Speaking of which, could you, uh, uh, the Newport really, uh, could you just tell us a little bit about your experience there?
1: This past weekend, you mean?
2: Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah, well, it was. Yeah, we. They, this was a combination because the, the, uh, Conchita Martinez and Goran Ivanisovich had been elected last year and would have come, it had not been for the pandemic. So they had to wait a year, which was tough on them. They were good sports about it, but they ended up giving really terrific speeches, both of them, filled with humility and perspective and deep appreciation that players like that have, because obviously the all-time greats the likes of a Federer or a Sampras or a Rod Laver, they know at a certain point, it's not that they don't have great regard for the hall of fame. They do, but they know they're going to be in it's, 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 it's inevitable, but players like Ivan and Kanchino Martinez do not know that. And, you know, they each got in there primarily by winning Wimbledon. Gorin doing so in 2001 is the 20th anniversary of his exhilarating five set win over Pat Rafter and, and Conchita won Wimbledon over Martina Navratilova, who was going for a 10th title and that was that was remarkable too that she beat Martina with her spectacular passing shots so it, it was it was nice to see them there so so uh delighted to have received the honor and then the original nine of women's tennis signing their pro contracts back in 1970 with Gladys Hellman the pr- promoter and and the publisher editor of World Tennis Magazine and changing the face of women's tennis forever by going out on their own. And it was a great risk. They were being threatened with suspensions by the, uh, these were seven Americans and two Australians. And Billie Jean obviously was the uh, superstar among them, but they were all being threatened with suspensions. The the American players by the U.S., what was then the U.S. LTA and the Australians by their, their federation. So it was a little bit of a scary time. They all came out of it beautifully. And the women's game was, was permanently altered by their, their courage. So it's nice to see all of them collectively go in as a group, as a group slash individual into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Very, very special weekend.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And if we just go back a little bit, maybe a week, uh, it's been about eight or nine days from now, but we witness history again with Novak uh, winning his 20th major. And he's now won three again this year something that he did in 2011 and 2015. And, you know, he had to really uh, dig deep, especially in that fourth set um, against uh, against Berrettini. And, you know, he arguably never really played his best throughout. But uh, uh,
1: Avance, like, let me, let me uh, interrupt you. Take out the word arguably. <laughs> I don't think there is much argument. I think he would agree. <laughs> I think his supporters would agree. That's, that's what makes him such a great champion. He's honest with himself. He knows he was never at his zenith during this tournament, but he still only lost two sets in seven matches. Not a bad effort.
3: Yep. So um, sorry to
1: continue, but I'm saying I don't think there's much debate on that point.
3: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. And and I think that's what's uh, made Novak so great now is that, you know, there's always this debate of, you know, what was, where was, what was his best year or where was he at his absolute best? And obviously we know 2011, we know 2015, but in some ways, don't you think he's a more complete player now? He's more evolved you know, definitely the way he can, uh, he was mixing in the serve and volley, the way he was coming up with big serves, especially, you know, these last three majors in Australia, particularly, that was quite evident. And the way he just, his mental strength in these moments when he's down and he knows, you know, even when he lost that first set against Berrettini and he, he faced those break points against, uh, against Chapo and when Chapo was serving for the first set. So all of these moments and Novak just, just found a way and he trusted his instincts and it's just paid off
1: yeah you know to get back to your first point i i, I i'm pretty much in accord with all, everything you've just said but i i <laughs> think he, he himself said he thinks he's a more complete player than ever before and I, I don't think anybody could crawl with that he can win in more different ways and the servant volley that you mentioned was particularly effective and used more uh efficiently and often against chapavala because he knew dennis is going to chip that back and left-handed back and return down the line. Novak could anticipate every time shade to that side when he served to him in the deuce court and then come in and, and he played some beautiful backhand first volleys into the open court. He, he knew that was a pattern play and he made it work beautifully. And yes, he could serve big and in, in, in really consequential propitious moments. And that's, that's an improvement. It's really going to be fascinating to see how he will feel when he's done to you could argue 2011, he was maybe as dominant up through the U.S. Open. And then he was tired afterwards. You know, he, he was shot. He didn't have a great fall because he just had achieved everything he wanted. And physically, I think he was done for the year. But that uh, that stretch from the Australian through the, the uh, U.S. Open, where he lost only to Roger at, at the French, was was pretty remarkable. And then 15, he's in all four finals. He's barely missing a final all, all year long of any tournament, any he he then only lost in the majors was in the finals of the French to Stan Wawrinka, which was a tough one for him. He played, I think maybe there was, that was also a f- fantastic year and we'll see how this one turns out. You, you could argue that maybe in 15, maybe that was more his absolute physical peak, but boy, he's, he's still right there now. I, I don't see a big difference. It, maybe he has to conserve energy a little more than he did back then. But if he, Bunch, if he was able to win, even if he lost the Olympics, which I don't think he will, and came back and won the U.S. Open and he wins the Grand Slam, it'll certainly go down as his greatest year. It'll also go down as one of the greatest years of any player in the history of tennis. So that that will determine part of it. where, where How we assess the player and how he won and the tools he brought to the victories, That that, that we may need years for that. But this one's going to go down as, as one of his really... Uh, extraordinary seasons.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, I I guess I would say um, in the sense that it's probably mostly because he's so much more experienced. He seemed very calm throughout the season so far. I have not, uh, well, aside from probably um, his outburst after, not outburst, but like when he was playing against Berrettini at Polingaro's, that's like going a little bit farther back, but like he, he definitely showed a lot more emotion after that one match but um, not just aside after, from that not, yes.
1: not, not just after it was interesting yeah. just to quickly yes. uh, reference that one he had won the first two sets and the crowds was they knew there was a curfew and he wins the first two goes into a third set tiebreaker and leads five four serving and you think maybe he's going to close it out there and made two of the most apprehensive errors I've ever seen from him in a big moment like that and he was not happy with himself I don't think and then Early in the fourth, the crowds had to file out and there was a delay and uh, that, you know, then it was suddenly a whole different atmosphere playing in front of no fans instead of a very a few crowd. And toward the end, you're, you're thinking of right after the match. Absolutely. He kind of screamed out, but he also did it in the last game. He was just so frustrated, I think, that he hadn't put it away in straight. But on the other hand, it didn't get in his way. And I, I you know, there was nothing else to compare. Compared to, it was much in match uh, emoting like that and with kind of negativity. So that was a, an interesting moment, but ne- not necessarily that consequential when you looked at how he look at how he dealt with it, with the Nadal match, which came right after yeah. Berrettini. So he's had two, two astonishing majors in a row for, for very different reasons. Yeah.
2: And it, because of that comment that experience, he also achieved one of the things that um, he hasn't been able to achieve, which was the Channel Slam. And that speaks volumes about just how much, how how good he is still is. And uh, this this time, I don't know if you're going to tell people, like the, he's probably arguably maybe better than he used to be. But it is is also debatable. But the fact that he's been able to achieve the three Grand Slams in a row, Australian Rolling Arrows and Wimbledon, um, which I don't think anyone else has been able to, except for Rod Laver. Correct. Um,
1: Correct. So, absolutely. Yeah. So that, a lot, that already is a, is a, uh, a, a great, great achievement. In, and uh, mm-hmm. even if he weren't to complete the slam, but absolutely no one since Laver had put himself in that position. There were these years in the late 70s and 1980. Borg won the French and Wimbledon back-to-back, 78, 9, and 80. And then he'd come to the U.S. Open. In two of those years, he was really close to having a third leg of the slam In the finals, and he lost one to Connors in 78 and another to McEnroe in 80. And had he won those, he would have headed for Australia and tried to win the Grand Slam. But again, he didn't get that third leg. He came close to it, but he didn't get it. So Djokovic is indeed the first, and that alone is a a majestic achievement for him.
3: Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now that we know that he is going to the Olympics and we know there's somewhat of a depleted field there, you know, obviously there's the likes of Medvedev and Tsitsipas and Zverev who are all playing, but, you know, how do you, how do you kind of assess his chances given that the final is no longer going to be best of five, it's going to be a best of three sets all the way through. And so maybe there's a, you know, a a smaller window for him to, you know, like more players can maybe sustain their best level for, you know, in two out of three sets.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, Vonch, I can hear it. I can, <clears throat> I, I get that argument. I get that point of view. It's not, not invalid at all. On the other hand, we've seen what he's done across the years in Masters 1000 tournaments. And mm-hmm. obviously, lo- they, they abandoned the best of five finals a long time ago. So you say to yourself, okay, he's shown, he knows. I mean, he, he knows it's a shorter format. He doesn't want, he's really even more intense and more concentrated in opening sets of best of three set matches, knowing that he does not want to go down a set and yep. have to win two in a row. And so, yes, it's, you know, you could say it maybe is not as quite as difficult an assignment for these guys to find a way to beat him in a best of three. But when he's this determined to win something, that's, that's a different story altogether. This is not Novak Djokovic playing Dan Evans in, in Monte Carlo and not, not find the spirit, or the the drive, or the you know the, the that endless well of determination to to get get come off the court a winner on a bad day. So yes, there was an example where he just was not that fired up and he wasn't playing that well yet in best of three, where he was vulnerable. But I suspect you know in the Olympics he's going to start strong and, and probably end strong. And you you alluded to the field. There's no doubt. I mean Berrettini's out of there now, and Rafa had already pulled out. Roger was always unlikely and he pulled out so it seems to me Vance that the two biggest threats might be Tsitsipas and Medvedev but we we can't know exactly what to expect expect from them right now I mean both of them have had some hard difficult some disappointing results lately you know, Medvedev thought, had a good French and then in the quarters he lost to who had only beaten him once previously and then he, uh, he played well enough up to the quarters of Wimbledon and thought he had Hercotch beaten. I think he thought he had him. He's two sets to one. They're on serve at 3-4 in the fourth. And the match gets stopped. And they move into center the next day. He loses in five. So he's at a little bit of a low ebb, I'd say. And then Tsitsipas, after losing to Tiafo in the first round of Wimbledon, which was obviously a disappointment, goes to Hamburg. This He goes back out onto the play. He's thinking he can win a 500. And he loses uh to Krajinovic so uh I I think they're both not exactly brimming with confidence at the moment and we can't necessarily expect that they will automatically be in the semis or the final themselves so you would think looking at all looking at all that it's not going to be a waltz there's people like Schwartzman over there they're players that can test Novak and make him work but all things being equal the confidence level he has right now he's a pretty clear favorite to get that gold medal
3: yeah, um, you know, I totally agree. And I think you mentioned some of the next-gen guys already, but if we just look at their Wimbledons for a second, you know, we look at, you know, the four guys that you you probably consider, you know, in that top tier with, uh, you know, Medvedev losing in five sets from two sets to one up in the fourth round. You had um, Rublev going out to Fuksovic from two sets to one up in the fourth round as well. And then you had... Um, you know, Zverev losing to Felix solzheny Yassim. And then, obviously, you mentioned Tsitsipas. He's had a tough road as of late, lo- lo- losing the Roland-Garros final. But then, you know, bowing out to Francis Tiafo early. And then, of course, the Hamburg uh, result there. So y- how do you kind of assess those guys right now?
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. I, just, I, I think they're struggling a bit. And I think Medvedev, having started the year with a final, even though he maybe was... Was slightly dejected because coming in he might have believed that he was ready to win his first major. It still was a final. Still was an impressive showing. His second major final, and he probably was hoping it was going to lead to more than what he got out of Roland Garros or Wimbledon. And I think he actually saw him. I think him. You think he really saw himself in that quarter, and he was looking forward to to playing Roger in the quarters. I suspect, you know, for a lot of reasons, and uh, and getting his first win over him, but. So he's a little down, and I think Tsitsipas, you know, again, look, this is all following being one set away from winning Roland Garros. Uh, two sets to love up in the final against Novak, and then, you know, that was a jarring loss for him and and perfectly justifiable given the way Djokovic played. But again, I think that that Stefanos was hoping Wimbledon would be, you know, he could follow up nicely, he didn't play any tournaments, he thought he could maybe just get himself through the first week and then go after the title in the second. It never happened. And then again, Medvedev hoping he could recoup after the loss in Paris to Stefanos and, and do something big at Wimbledon. And I believe he thought he was really on his way to that, that he he, he liked the way he was playing the first day. Hurkacz took a tie break off him in the second set, but otherwise Medvedev was holding pretty easily most of the match and he had control of it, or at least he thought he did. But when they shifted locations and came into center and, It all changed the second day, and he was very—he was outplayed. I think he was a little dismayed by his form. So I don't—you know—I don't think either one of those guys goes to Tokyo in a a terribly good frame of mind.
2: Do you think that um, um, Medvedev, especially, is looking forward to maybe reset from his mentality? He's obviously not going in with the same level of uh, confidence as Djokovic, but to reset going into Tokyo on a hard court, which is his best surface. Uh, do you think it's something that he's looking forward to, and just say, try? You know what I did. I did bad, but it's 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 clay, it's grass. I never really did a, a particularly well on those surfaces, but on hard courts I excel. So I gotta switch my mind to this particular. Yeah very, yeah,
1: very good point. Absolutely, and that's he he will try to talk himself into that. But he's a funny kind of a moody guy. There's no doubt that hard courts are his best. That's where the big summer '19, where, where everything changed for him, and he was in six finals. He won a couple. Of titles, you know, he's he's narrowly losing to Rafa in a five-set U.S. open but Yeah, there's no doubt hardcourt springs out the best in him. It's where he's most comfortable. It's where he knows what he can do. But I I think he's trying to prove something to himself again right now, because you still are you're still a little bit uh depressed by those types of performances, even if the even even if those surfaces have not been your best in the past. But absolutely, the goal will be to reset whether he can will. We'll find out. And the thing that's going to be tough about the Olympics is, you know, I'm assuming he's going to jump right out there on the hard. And, you know, that, that again, sometimes it can take you a week or two, even if you're Medvedev, to find your form when you're ch- changing surfaces again. And uh, that's what he's going to be faced with. Be, be interesting. But no doubt he's saying to himself what you just said about him. This is where I change things. This is where I reset. I'm on the hard courts. so I'm going to get rolling again. We'll, we'll see if he can. Yeah
3: and then if we um talk about uh, Matteo Berrettini for a second he got to the final of Wimbledon he w- he won queens um he had a you know very good run um and you know he his game kind of reminds me a little bit of Milos Raonic the way he serves the way he's uh you know explosive with the forehand and hides the backhand but has a really nice slice which does a lot of damage uh, on grass and you know he was you know in some ways he was helped out a little bit by the draw not having to go through uh you know Roger and Zverev lost earlier so that kind of opened the door for him a little bit, but, you know, what did you make of his performance against Novak? Obviously he took that first set after being down five, two. And, you know, he made a, he he made a decent match out of it, had a small window in the fourth set and a couple breakback points uh, in the third set. But uh, you think, you know, he gave a pretty good account of himself and do you think he'll win Wimbledon someday?
1: I think he might. I think he might. I'm not convinced that he will. I, 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 again, I think he might win a couple of majors along the way and that wouldn't surprise me, but it's, it's hard to gauge. He's going to be up against a lot of, Tough competition from the likes of Zarev and Sitsipas and Dominic Team and all the, all the rest. It's you know, He's going to still have his work cut out for him, but I did think he did a very nice job because there were high expectations, winning queens, a lot of talk about him, a lot of people feeling like, OK, they looked at that half of the draw and they looked at him, they looked at Zarev, they looked at Roger. There were all prospects for all three potentially to be in the final against Novak. Uh, I did think he got a break, Banch by not playing Zarev. I, I do believe that you know, Zereb had beaten him in that final in Madrid on the clay. And I'm not, it wouldn't have been automatic by any means, but I still would have kind of liked uh, Sasha's chances if they had met. But look, he, he took advantage of it. Good for him. You know, he still earned his way to the final without any question. And then, as you said, uh, that comeback on the first set of the final was pretty crucial for him because that match could have turned into a very one-sided affair. Because Novak had started nervously, and he he'd been served a couple of doubles in his first game, and got out of it from break point down. Had another double in the third game of the match, but you know managed to kind of get those holds despite being tense. And then he went on a pretty good roll all the way up to five two, and they had an eight deuce game. And and Novak had a set point in that game, and if he had put him away six two, I think it would have been really hard for Beratini to ever get his bearings, and Novak would also have started to swing more freely swing freely the way he actually did the first four games of the second set to go up four love, but except he would have been piling it on from up a set instead of trying to work his way back into the match so but still good performance from Berrettini. but i thought just to comment a little bit on that final i thought those first four games of the second set probably settled the whole match i mean it was that it was really Berrettini had 40 15 on his serve in the first game of the second set and novak came back to break him and that was critical and then he rolled on to 411 even though he he let one of the breaks get away from him uh, when the first time he served for the set. And even though he had Berrettini at love 40, when Berrettini served at three, five Novak did a very good job to serve out the set at love at five, four. And I, you felt at that point that he, it was going to be pretty hard to stop him. And it was, but you know, it still was just the one break in the third. And as you said, break back points, that was three, two in the third. And Novak uh, did a good job to attack both times. you know, on the break points, he got into the net and, Berrettini couldn't make the passing shots. And, and uh, I thought it was very wise of Novak to apply the pressure. And then he did a nice job to serve the set out, made a beautiful forehand half angled half-volley that was maybe one of his, his real magical moments of the match. That got him to 40-15, double set point in the third, closed him out. And, and then the sequence that you described, Vance, was I thought was quite interesting, was Novak in the fourth had not broken. Berrettini had had three pretty easy holds hadn't even been pushed to deuce on his serve in that stretch. And then Novak suddenly finds himself down love 30 after Berrettini did a very nice job of tracking one of Novak's drop shots and hitting a winner. And uh, Novak really responded and uh, a very good first serve. And then his, again, one of his gem points of the match when he, you know, Berrettini had hit that vicious slice back in down the line, you know, trying to get to 1540 here and Novak somehow scooped the ball back down the middle with a slice off his forehand and then Berrettini whacks the forehand and in deep into Novak's backhand corner. And Novak somehow, you know, on the stretch, gets it back fairly low. And then Berrettini tried that forehand drop and Novak came all the way out of his backhand corner to cover it and, and somehow get the ball by Berrettini for, for a winner. So I, I think that was, you know, I think that hole was crucial. And I thought from then, after he got the hold, he really played well the rest of the match. The rest of the match was was really some of his best tennis once he got to 3-all. Yeah. You know, that was critical that he held for 3-all, but then he kind of opened up his wings and he played a great cross-court forehand winner in the 3-all game that got him to break point and led to a double fall from Berrettini, and then he holds, and then he breaks him again for the match. So listen, I think Berrettini was overmatched in a sense, and Outplayed for sure, but to get it to have stolen the first set the way he did was very was still impressive. He showed a lot of poise. He outplayed Novak in the tiebreak, and uh, but but there was never you never kind of you never really felt that Djokovic was going to lose that match. At least I didn't. And and once he got off to the quick start in the second, there was just really no stopping him. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, just something to go back on that. You referenced that amazing point by Djokovic to you know get that. That uh, that flick pass that he hit when Berrettini went for that ah. drop shot after that, you know, amazing inside out forehand that Djokovic somehow got back. I felt like that was one of those points where that drop shot would have been good enough against, you know, 98% of the players, but oh. against sure. Djokovic, I think it just, you know, he would have been better off maybe just smoking that forehand in the corner.
1: Yeah, you're right. Except the trouble is the ball was fairly low and fairly sh- and short. It was, a, it would have been kind of difficult to control for Berrettini. And he was already surprised that Novak had gotten it back at all, you know? Yeah. And so you, you're kind of reacting, you, your instincts are to just to try the other shot. I don't think it would have been easy for him to try to hit a winner off off that ball. And Novak had already left him dumbfounded by getting the la- first to get that vicious slice back. You know, that was a, very hard slice that Berrettini hit down the line. And again, very few players would have found a way to get that back as Novak did. And then to, to race over to his backhand corner and get to the rocket forehand of Berrettini is pretty good work. And that, of course, was the, the emotional high moment for Djokovic who kind of raised his arms to the crowd. That's when I think he thought, you know what? That, that is it. I've had enough of this. I'm going to close this out. You could, you could sense that it, it was an enormous confidence boost for him and it it helped carry him right through the the last winning actually the last four games of the match.
3: I think he felt pretty pretty tense really the whole way through the Wimbledon and I think he he kind of felt that pressure, you know, maybe maybe it's just me but I don't think he ever really opened up his shoulders and started swinging freely after the ball. You know, I I saw moments in the third set against Shapovalov and you know, like you said the last four moment, four games of the match when he really knew he had Berrettini um, there but apart from that he was really yeah. You know, add a sort of a C plus to a B level really throughout. Yeah,
1: Plus might be a little harsh, but he certainly was not in his high. In, you, you certainly wouldn't have put him anywhere near an A minus and and at times B plus. B plus. But of course the draw was very good and he just didn't want to. All he was trying to do was be efficient <laughs> against all those guys through the quarters. You know, like for instance, I think we might've seen him play a more inspired match against uh, Rublev than he did against Fusevich because he might've been a little bit more scared of Rublev's power, but he didn't, he knew it was a match. He just knew he wasn't going to lose to Fusevich. And he just tried to be disciplined and smart and consistent and, and win on his defense. And, and he did. And that, that's pretty much the mode he was in. I thought that maybe after he won the tie, but you think back to that first set against Dennis Shapovalov and uh, you know, it was a remarkable that he won that set considering that Dennis had been, you know, first and second set he's got seven love games on his serve he was pretty devastating and there's Novak in the 10th game somehow breaking back just to keep the set alive when Dennis served for it at 5-4 and he made that great lunge off his forehand that Dennis missed the open court with his forehand and suddenly Novak was at set point instead of being uh, it was a break point instead of being down set point and he breaks and ends up winning the set in the tie break and I thought maybe after that I thought okay it was such a tense first set but the problem was he was constantly having to scramble, you know, coming back from Love 40 and 1540 in the second set. And it was a it was a little bit of a strain and a struggle to get through his own service games because Dennis was just missing so little for him. I thought I thought he was far less streaky than I've seen him in a lot of other matches, including uh, the match against Hatchinoff and that got him to the semis. I mean, there was it was a much streakier performance. So. It was hard for Novak because he was under so much pressure from the the uh, aggressive shot-making from the left-handed opponent that he had. And then, as you say, the third set, he did open up a bit. It, with some luck, it wouldn't have been a 7-5 set in the third. It would have been maybe six three, six four 6-3, 6-4 at least because he was having chances to break, and Dennis was the one more uh, saved himself a little. Dennis hung in the third very well before Novak finally got the break at 5-0. Yeah, listen, this... It's very hard to to get this stuff out of your mind. It'll be fascinating to see how he handles the pressure in New York. Is he able to relax a little bit more on the hard courts? It may be that he can, given you know the truer bounce and the sort of you're you're more as as great as the grass is at Wimbledon. You still see how brown it gets around the baseline, in in, behind the baseline, and just in front of the baseline. So balls there hit deep down the middle can take. Very irregular bounces. And you could see the frustration with Djokovic a few times when he got those bad bounces. So I feel like maybe the conditions in New York might suit him. And maybe he feels like he got the the hardest part behind him. Granted, he hasn't sealed the slam yet, but maybe he'll come into New York feeling a little differently and saying to himself, you know what? You know, I'm going to really I'm going for this. I am going to swing freely. I am going to hit out and uh, I'm I'm not going to rely quite as much on my defense there's this is going to be more of a blend of offense and defense so I have a feeling that's going to be more we'll find out and some of it will be the draw and how well guys play against him but I think we may see him play my sense is that this could be the best of the four majors for him of the year if he comes in physically fresh enough that Mm -hmm. we might see because even in Australia you know he had the injury and which led to a five-setter with Taylor Fritz and then, you know, then it was hard work. He had to take care of Raonic in four. He had to take care of Zarev in four. That won the semi in straight and then the final in straight. So he did peak toward the end, especially in the final against Medvedev. But that was a hard tournament. And then we know the two escapes and in, in Roland Garris from two sets to love down. So I just feel like that, they, that he could well give one of his, you know, one of his peak performances of his career in New York. It's a sense I get from him now.
2: I think one of my, one of my tells for Djokovic when he's, when you know that he's somewhat not, not playing his best or feeling the pressure is that his forehand starts to get really strange. His movement is really not quite as clean as it can be. Um, and he tends to drop it like a little bit more spinny, shorter, a little bit higher. He was definitely making sure he was not missing in those matches and at right. Wimbledon. Until right in a few moments where he really just said like, okay, no, I got to hit a winner. Otherwise I'm actually going to drop a serve or maybe drop a set. So, um, but going back to um, the Olympics a little bit, do you think that um, winning the Olympics, uh, do you think it's going to mount the pressure on Djokovic in New York because he has a chance for a career golden slam or is it just going to be neutral or not at all?
1: I think, you know, there's an, there's, there's an immense amount of pressure on him. It's an interesting point you're making. I just feel like, comes to New York, okay, let's say he lost in the Olympics. Okay, then the Golden Slam dream is over, but he's st- you're still going for the Grand Slam. So And there's still real pressure, and you won't want want to let it elude your grasp. And then, if he has won the Olympics, I think, you know, he's going to feel very proud that he's got three majors and a gold, and try, he'll now try to make it the golden slam and i so i I think either way he comes in with a certain burden but also knowing it's a it's it's literally a golden opportunity so i just i i either way i think he knows that everybody's going to be paying attention to him he's also going to the other element in new york that we can't know for sure but we can we can be pretty sure is that the crowds who are never with him It seems there may be some Serbian fans who come in and maybe he'll have a block there that helps, but they tend to be, you know, the crowds have never really given him his due at at any of these majors. And now that he's even a more commanding favorite, the, the underdog crowds will be out in mass, I think at times, and he'll have to, he'll have to try and stay as composed as we saw him at Wimbledon, which was remarkable, did a great job at Wimbledon. But I think the crowd the atmospherics may be a little different in New York and they may get a little bit more uh, over the top, the crowds in cheering his errors and cheering on his opponent's winners. And he's going to have to let that roll off him and also try to find ways to bring the crowd back around to him, you know, raising his arms after sort of like what he did, Bunch, after that big point that that you and I both love so much at Wimbledon at 2-3 in the fourth there against Berrettini. And Get his, throw his arms up and kind of implore them. And sometimes that can be very effective in taking a crowd that's been against him or been neutral or what, and, and suddenly making that, forcing them to appreciate him a bit more. But don't you think, Vance, that, the, that it, or don't you sense the crowds are going I don't to, I know some say antagonistically against him, but I think they're, they're, they're certainly going to be, I think a lot of them are going to prefer the idea of somebody stopping the slam rather than Novak winning the slam.
3: Yeah, I think New York courts, New York crowds traditionally have have always been that way. I mean, if we look at you know just the past few like examples, I can think of you know you know you're right about the joke of uh, in Djokovic's case specifically that's been happening since 2008 when he played Andy Roddick, uh, you know, in that contentious quarterfinal, and then obviously we saw how much the crowds were against Djokovic in the 2015 U.S. Open final, which is the most you know against Djokovic uh, you know I've ever seen.
1: Standout, that was a standout against Federer. Now, obviously, part of that was the Federer. Federal mania and mm-hmm. the fact that roger is just uniquely popular universally popular and they at that point they thought that might be his last chance and and uh yes that was that was probably the most one of the most arduous experiences Djokovic has ever had in dealing with a crowd it was it was even even tougher than the 2019 wimbledon crowd which was not right. as vot- they were against him but they they weren't as loud as the new yorkers so yeah i i there's the potential for something like that again. And he's got to prepare himself for it psychologically. I think he's very good at dealing that when he's made up his mind that he's not going to lose his cool, uh, then he's able to diffuse it better. And I think that's going to be important. And not that he can't release it from time to time and find a way to emote, especially in a positive way, especially after he's hit a a winner on a very critical point, just spur himself on and try to get the crowd to, to be more supportive in the process. But I think that his his comportment, his demeanor, his temperament, it will be all on the line in New York. That's what makes this so interesting. And he's going to want it badly. So he's going to be high strung. But I do think the new, I do believe there is a, a level of mature. It, it, it's, it's as mature as I've ever seen him in these last couple of majors, the way he's handled uh, difficult circumstances.
3: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And then, you know, you look at, you know, sometimes I think when he plays the more flashier kind of opponents, I think that they really tend to obviously get behind the underdog more in that sense. Um, And so, you know, I guess if we talk a little bit about some of the other players who did really well at Bimbledon and there's four that come to my mind, which is, you know, obviously Shapovalov, he's been on a great run since basically Geneva. Now he's done well in the grass season and he, you know, he played quite nicely against Andy Murray and Batista, good, obviously an up and down, uh, you know, tense match against Hachinov, but uh, you know, how do you feel about him you know going forward and he's now number 10 in the world
1: yeah about dennis
3: yeah about dennis and then you can you can talk a little bit about felix as well since they're yeah 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 people. i
1: mean it is it's interesting i've i've i think like a lot of people that have followed them both there've been times when you felt like okay long term felix is going to be the greater player he's more better all around player he volleys better he he's he's more complete in some ways but then you watch dennis in command like he was against Novak and and so spectacular off the ground. It's pretty de- devastatingly potent shots off both wings. So I I think they're, they're, their traje- trajectories are going to be quite similar. I think they're both headed for the top five and, and they'll both get there in the not too distant future. Dennis took a big step. He was definitely, you saw him, you both saw him, Andre and Vonch, leaving the court in tears. And, yeah story is well documented now that Djokovic consoled him a bit in the locker room and told him how you know which I think was a very decent fundamentally decent thing to do and uh, he's I'm more encouraged about him than I've been in a long time I felt in the past that he's he's beaten himself too much and people could say that he did to a degree against Novak but that you're playing the best player in the world and maybe the best of all time and it's understandable you're on the center court and you know, you're not going to get that many opportunities. So when you don't serve out the first set, you're going to be a little upset with yourself. And, you know, there were moments in the tiebreak. same thing the last two sets, but I think he came away from this Wimbledon having been in the semis. That's a breakthrough major for him. So I feel like it'll be, it'll be interesting to see him in the hardcore turners leading up to New York and see if he can avoid a kind of a uh, subpar performance in the early rounds and, where he gets picked off by somebody that really shouldn't beat him. And I'm, I'm hoping that's not, this time around, that doesn't happen. Felix is making, I think, steady progress. He did a really good job. You know, he lost to Berrettini, but, uh, you know, and he, he dealt with Nick. That was a difficult situation. Glad he got through it. It was important that he, that he got, uh, and, you know, on the heels of Halley and beating Roger, I feel like it's, it's not spectacular progress, but it's steady and I feel like he's not rushing himself. And, but that he is getting better, progressively better, uh, year by month by month, year by year. I'm kind of encouraged. I really feel like – and I feel like the, the competition between these two guys is a very healthy one
2: mm-hmm.
1: with you know, the bragging rights, whatever you want to call it, but I think they're going to each – I, I like – I mean, I'm, I'm encouraged about them both, and I, as I say, I don't think it will be long before they both reside in the top five uh, together.
2: Yeah, and come back, coming back a bit to the U.S. Open, and now that we're talking about other players, um, who do you think would would be probably the biggest threat for Novak Djokovic aside from the obvious crowd of New York? But like player wise, would be the biggest threat to Djokovic, and also who do you think would be the the crowd would be mostly um for in this U.S. Open in particular? Um, I don't know, we don't know yet if Federer is going to play, but it's probably his chances are much lower than they used to be. But uh, maybe Nadal right. is going to be a bigger one.
1: Yeah, listen, it's, it, I can't single out one guy. Obviously, Nadal on experience. On the other hand, it's been an eternity since he's beaten Novak on a surface other than clay, mm-hmm. uh, And I, I think it would be a tall order for Rafa. On the other hand, if he plays him, we're talking uh, most likely semi or final. So it's Rafa would have had to have played well to get there. Rafa has the experience. Now, there's in situation right with the crowd that crowd would be overwhelmingly pro Nadal because they love him to begin with. And then when they feel like he's playing for history and trying to keep himself, you know, get himself out in front again in the grand slam race and prevent Novak from winning a grand slam they that crowd could be fervently behind Nadal if they were to meet. But I do think that in Rafa's case, we'll see what, how he performs in, in Washington and then again in Canada. And I don't think he'll play Cincinnati. I'm, I'm thinking he probably plays Washington, and Canada and skip Cincinnati if he gets enough matches out of those two tournaments, see what his form looks like. It's, I think it's a very positive sign for Rafa that he's playing, that he wanted to get out there so soon in Washington,
3: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: that whatever, whatever was going on with him post Will and Garros, he's certainly physically feeling fine. And obviously he won, you know, he's got his four opens and two of them were quite recently in 17 and 19. So he didn't even go last year. So, So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. He'll be he'll be really. You know, you would think. You know, you would you could argue that he might have the best shot, except that I just don't think on the surface. So so I, I can't pick one guy. I mean, it would, it's going to take a Herculean effort from somebody on a given day. Uh, possibly a team. We don't know how team's going to be playing at that point, but team has consistently played Djokovic very tough these last three years. Yep. And, and, you know, they had that five set Australian final, you know, and, and back in early 20 and he's, you know, he's beaten him twice at the year end championships and indoors, which is very impressive because Novak is great indoors. So, team team my if team was in form maybe he would be one of the tougher ones uh for Novak to beat although I'd still go with Novak but I don't think there's a clear Do either one of you see a clear candidate as the number one threat to Novak Djokovic
3: um other than himself I was also going to say you know team at his very best just because you know team has won five of his last seven matches against Djokovic and I feel like he kind of just matches up well against all three of the guys um you know yeah, yeah especially Rafa he's a he's a big threat for Rafa on on any surface now, really. And, you know, you know, this is assuming he gets back to his, his best, right. uh, you know, mentally. And obviously he has that wrist issue, which is going to be pretty touch and go for him, you know, if he's yep. going to play in New York and, you know, he's, yeah, he's really struggled this year uh, off the yeah. heels of winning his first major. So.
1: Yeah, it's been a tough year. I, I, I'm just, obviously, I'm putting that only in the context of if he's, you know, physically oh, things around yeah. and he's on a good yeah. roll. I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think that the five out of seven is a little misleading in some senses about the timing of some of those wins, just like some of Medvedev's wins over Novak. Right. but it still counts. It still matters. Mm-hmm. It still mm-hmm. matters. So I would, I would put him near the top of the list, but in the end, I still think it comes down to if Djokovic is in peak form and he's playing and, and, and he's playing his, his finest tennis, then, then he, he wins the title in my yeah. opinion. You know, and and I think the other players kind of know that they know that they have to really lift their level, they have Mm -hmm. to be at maybe a hundred point seven (laughs) percent to be. Yeah,
3: Yeah.
2: I think I was. I actually kind of had forgotten about team for a second, just because he's been so absent because of injury. But yeah, once you put him back into the equation, if he's fully fit, totally agree that he could go back, and he. I think he said it before that it's one of his goals to defend his title in, in, in New York. So if he's fit, he's going to be motivated. Um, and the fact that he got back to being fit is going to motivate him even more to be playing, uh, to be back at uh, in New York. And um, I w- I would say maybe, I was thinking Medvedev at first, but uh, yeah, it, it would really depend on his performances in the next few tournaments, like to see if he picks himself back up together. He already lost a pretty... Um, disappointing final against Djokovic earlier this year. So this could be either into his favor or against him. If you can say like, oh yeah, that, that was my first final. He could say, all will find, find all kinds of, not excuses, but arguments to say, I lost this final because, well, Djokovic is Djokovic. I was only my second major final um, and yada, yada, yada. But it, it will depend on um, just how these guys actually come to New York because at this point, I think you're right. There's not really a single guy that you can pick to see um, this is Djokovic's main rival and main threat in New York
1: yeah absolutely now Medvedev will be interesting again he yeah he needs some good results along the way whether it's the Olympics whether it's whether it's can, Canada Cincinnati whatever it might be he needs something encouraging he probably needs a, t- a title somewhere in there to, to get the true self-belief back and then Dominic needs something as well and I think the thing that makes it tough on Dominic is that he's, he is the defending champion. Yes, that works for and against you. And uh, he, he he's maybe su- feels a certain amount of pressure to try to defend. And he knows he just hasn't been mentally, hasn't been himself all year. And so he's, he's looking to re- rekindle that strength of his. So it, it, it's going to be very interesting to see. And again, all those guys, because we've already talked about Tsitsipas and We've talked about Sitsipas and, and, uh, and Medved. have lumped them together, and then you see Team trying to re- regain his form. And so it, 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 it will partially depend on who shows well between now and, and Flushing Meadows.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a matchup that I would really like to see are a player. I'd really like to do well and win some matches at these first would be Sebastian Corda because he's done really well, you know, as of late. And he's probably our best, not probably, I think he is our best, you know, American prospect out of all no. the young guys. Do you have any doubt about that? No?
1: No, none whatsoever. And I don't think it was discouraging despite the 13 service breaks in the fifth set with Hatchinoff and losing your serve seven times. Not something you're terribly proud of, but I think he was proud of the effort. The tournament that he had, knocking off a few seeds, nearly beating Hatchinoff, first Wimbledon, you're just turning 21 the day you lose to him. Yeah, uh, he's he's had a very, very encouraging season all around. He's got a good head on his shoulders and he really has a very an excellent all around game. All the top players have to be informed to beat him because he, he doesn't really beat himself. The forehand can go off a little bit. There are times when you see him go through a few bad patches of his forehand, but it doesn't last because then he starts measuring it again. And he, and, and suddenly, you know, he's, he finds the range. The Backhand is almost perfect. Good mm-hmm. serve good temperament. So yeah. Oh, I think, I think by the end of the year, Banch, I actually, I expect him to be at least in the top 25, maybe top 20 by then, because I think he's going to have some very good tournaments on the hard courts over the summer. He could have a very good U S open. And then you have those events in the fall to only add weight to his record. So he's definitely one to look at closely.
3: Yep. I think a lot of those guys, you know, you know, born after 2000, I think, you know, a lot of them actually do have, a, you know, quite a bit of potential. I think, you know, one stroke that might be holding some of them back could be the serve, you know, just getting some more power on it, some better direction at times on the first serve. We see that a little bit with Yannick Sinner, who's regressed a little bit because, you know, I don't think he's serving as well as he needs to, for example. Or
1: I agree. I, 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 agree, about, I agree about Sinner's serve. I also think his forehand is still... Very shaky at big moments and he 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 needs to shore that up some and he's had kind of a disappointing stretch since miami in the finals and i, I, I it's kind of time for him to pull himself together too because he's too good not to and again he'll be one to watch, but you know in the in the hardcore tournaments leading up to New York to see if he can kind of regain his his self conviction
3: mm-hmm. there's also Hubert Hercatch who went on a six match losing streak and then Made it all the way to the semis, and you know, two nice wins um, here in the against Federer, and then before against Medvedev. Um, yeah. But I was raised uh, in some ways a little disappointed how he played a few games in the in the semis. He was pretty he was pretty tight, and then he he did it was a nice effort to win that third set. But um, you know, hopefully we'll see him in another semis again.
1: Yeah, wins the third set and then immediately loses serve to start the fourth, which I found to, told me he just didn't really believe it. Yes, yeah. I agree. I mean, he lost 10, 11 games in a row, you know, from the middle of the first set up until one love down on the third, he couldn't win a game. And I guess that was actually 11 because he was 3-2 up with a chance to break. And so yeah, that, that shouldn't happen to a guy who has as big a game as he does. That just should never happen on a grass court. He made it too easy for Berrettini. But you're right. To come off a six-match losing streak, having previously won Miami and then get back into this territory again and beat a couple of players like that and handle roger even if it's an injured roger i mean it, it it was it was very impressive to me i was also thought he had a lot showed a lot of boys against medvedev because yes medvedev got he, he kind of exposed his his frustrations again you could see he was a little disgusted with himself as the fifth set progressed but still it took a lot for for um this guy to go out and take that four set and 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 push it into five and then, and then get the win. And, and I, I give Hercoc very high marks on that. And then it was important, too, that he didn't let the crowd get worked up in the third set. And it wasn't the essential Roger to be losing six love. But on the other hand, Hercoc did his job. He, he just quieted the crowd almost completely by pulling away in the third.
3: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it was impressive to me because he was volleying really well and he was following his shots into the net and playing aggressive in big moments against uh, Medvedev, especially in the, on the second day. And, you know, it was, it was a good effort by him, but I guess now we got to talk about Roger. So, you know, sure, this, you know, obviously we know, you know, coming in, you know, I, I think you and I uh, both predicted actually he would get to the quarters. And so it was a good effort by him to get there. Um, but certainly the manner of the defeat and going out the way he, he did in that third set, you know, like you said, a bagel, which is only the fifth bagel he's ever had in a 24 year career, which is insane. But, yeah. uh, you know, especially and I didn't really, you know, I was still processing it, it at the time. But now that we know, you know, that he's pulled out of the Olympics and he said he had another setback, you know, during the grass season. I mean, how does that does that change the way you look at that third set or how, how would you
1: you know, little, assess it? it? It does a little bit, bunch. It maybe explains it a little bit. On the other hand, he was very vague about when, when the injury occurred to say grass court season. Was that Howley? Was it first round of Wimbledon against Manorino? Yeah. Was it in the in the uh, Cam Nori match? We we don't really know, and and so uh, that would it would help for context, but it still was a bad sign, even if he was hurting a bit, because he already was had been very open about his disappointment in himself, how disconcerted he was with the Felix match in Halley, the third set, not the right. first, but how he got down four eleven, the third lost at six two, was a very tame effort. And he took a long time to come in and talk to the press after that. And he was very critical of himself. And he said, that's unacceptable. I wonder if he thought it was acceptable. And I don't mean this cynically at all. I'm being very straightforward. But did he privately think it was acceptable to lose a 6 love set to her costume to close out his Wimbledon? You know, how, how did he feel about that? And what? how did he explain that to himself, even if the knee was somewhat burdensome at that point? To not be able to hold serve two, three, maybe four times in that third set is is surprising. So, I think it's going to be very hard for him because he's saying later in the summer. So, what if he came back in, I don't know, Canada or Cincinnati, and you know? Uh, and does he trust that he could get through, say, two hardcore tournaments leading to New York, up to New York, and then anything like seven matches in New York? I don't think he really believes it, and so I'm I, I'm I'm pretty concerned about where where this is headed. Because it, it's been a stopping and starting all season long. There's been disruption for him ever since he came back. i having had two knee surgeries last year, so I just think it's going to be a, a very, uh, a very revealing period to see how it, how the knee holds up, how he reacts to it, and what he's willing to accept, what he's willing to tolerate in terms of performances and just pain in the knee. Period. Yeah. So he certainly won't come in anywhere near as well prepared for the open as, as he would have liked if he had having to pull away again now and not go to the Olympics and not even really having announced precisely when the hard court return would be. So I think his fans must be deeply concerned with good reason. I mean, it's been a very tough year for him, you know, with, with the way the schedule has played out. And obviously with the knee, never really coming around to hundred percent the way he hoped it would.
3: Yeah. I thought it was quite um, I thought there was quite a sign earlier in the year when he played um, Doha and then, you know, he played those two matches. And then, you know, I was expecting him to play Dubai afterwards. And then, you know, he took Uh a long two month break. And that was such a telltale for me that it's still not right that that there's, you know.
1: And then then another telltale was the, the withdrawal from the French. Right. You know three matches in you should be happy that you're playing and trying to stay alive and see what you can do against Berrettini and and I don't think it was the fear of Berrettini I think it was fear of his knee and and what he was going to do to it how it might keep him out of Wimbledon so he might have already been feeling a little bit there minor pain Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. and
1: then of course you know yeah so those Doha but then what happened with Paris and then the disappointing showing against Felix and Halley and then the Wimbledon, where he had a pretty kind draw again, we'll never know what would happen in a fifth set there with Manorino. But that match was not over. Yeah. I think he was playing better. I had the feeling he was going to win it. But who's to say what could have happened if they played that fifth set out? And he had not looked that good. And to me, he hadn't looked that good until he started to turn the corner in the fourth. And we we couldn't know that he was going to sustain that form in a fifth set in the first round. So he, he yeah. could have ended up even losing first round. He took full advantage of it played pretty well in his next three matches but again it didn't end well so i yeah. just think there's a, must be a lot of soul searching going on and i all i can say on and and andre is that i hope the people around federer are just honest with him and i know he's honest with himself but he needs to hear frank talk from them not not putting him down not 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 criticism that's not constructive but where they're really looking at this realistically because I don't, I don't want I wouldn't want to see him play 2022 in this fashion. I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to see the pattern continue, stop, start, uh, injured again, back in, uh, uh, six weeks later, another third round loss, you know, back again, you know, a quarterfinal here, a semifinal there. That's not him. Yeah. And those are not his standards.
2: Yeah, yeah especially exactly. because his his ranking would drop quite a bit after yep. this week so right. he he would definitely be dropping you would be talking like low 30s if he keeps dropping out and coming back and losing early in tournaments so at some point he, he might start even like starting to face nadal first round of madrid if he decides to play It, it it's a possibility yep. if he keeps dropping uh and i I I like your point, like in, when you when you said that he may not may starting to have doubts in his mind about like his actual form, like his his real form, and whether he can actually go back to a playing uh, level that is acceptable to his caliber of player to 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 what he actually wants to do because Federer is not the kind of player who wants to just he says he loves he loves playing tennis of course he does but he he also likes winning otherwise he wouldn't have won as much as he he, he did, um, but he he will be looking back, in my opinion, to his Wimbledon, and he will definitely not be thinking that it was his most convincing performance. the the Manorino match he he probably will be looking at that and, and having the same doubts. Would I even win this match if he hadn't gotten injury injured? Maybe I just got lucky that I got so far. And about the Herkatch match, I I imagine that um after the second set that he could not um he could not win that that tiebreaker. I feel like his he, he was just completely hopeless that he would come back and, and win another three sets of that. He he probably just well, had, had yeah. not had single a single ounce of belief in him.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. The question I have is, was that because he just physically didn't think he was up to three more sets or mentally he was down? Uh, because mm-hmm. normally he would still compete. He would still say, I'm going to make this guy beat me. I'm going to win this set. I'm going to make him tense. I'm going to take this set and I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to continue into the fourth. And there would have been a certain you know, uh, defiance, a certain, you know, uh, spark that would have been lit where he would have said, you know, this, this is not how I'm going out. This is not going to happen. And we didn't see that. And I I have to believe that, especially given the statement that he was not, the knee was not feeling great at that stage. So he was afraid. I think a part of him may have been afraid that, you know, with an all out effort, he was going to do real damage, serious damage to the knee and he better get off the court. And I don't mean that he tanked because he did not. I didn't but where psychologically that was where he was.
3: Yeah. I, I think you hit it there with the last part because I was also, you know, just yeah, really curious. Was it, was it, was it really the near, was it so much the mental letdown because he said after the Felix thing that that's never going to happen again, you know, I'm not right. going right. and, to, and he made that very clear. So mm-hmm. for me to believe that that happened twice in a row is, is hard, you know, and you yeah. know, especially given that, you know, given that he at least shows some spark and moments in there, even if he doesn't, you know, come away with it. So I think he had to have been just in moments that used to be just so automatic, like being up a break in that second set. And, you know, he's showing sparks here and there. And you just kind of feel like there's so much doubt because at any service game, any tie break, any return game, it could all just capitulate and fall apart. And you just feel like he always has to be on the front foot, always has to serve well, always. And you just, you, you can't back himself anymore with the, with the movement, especially the forehand, the forehand just goes awry completely. I mean, it used to be the best forehand of all time. In his yeah. time. Saw it in,
1: against, you saw it when he lost serve at the end of the third set against Cam Norrie. The forehand just completely yep. deserted. And, and there, were, there were times in all of his matches. Listen, it, he needed some good fortune. The Manorino having to retire. Gasquet is just a gift for him every time.
3: Yeah.
1: You know? And then he, Cam Norrie played a nice match. Although I didn't think Cam Norrie played yeah. great for two sets. I think Cam only played well the last two sets. And then and, and really made a go of it and could almost have pushed it to five. And then I didn't
3: think Sonigo played well either, by the way. You know, the.
1: No, Sonigo was way too anxious. And, and then, of course, you know, he came back up to the break. And he, yeah, he was he, he was not very professional. He was too, he was overexcited about the opportunity, I thought. So, yeah, that was a And Roger can sense that in an opponent. He took advantage of all those things. But obviously, then he stepped into another league. Not that, you know, I mean, in terms of Herkosh being a, a total pro who knew what he could do on the day, who'd come off a big win over Medvedev. So it, it caught up with Roger because everything had really kind of gone his way until then. But it was another tournament. Once he got to the quarters, it was just a different tournament.
3: Yeah. I mean, and we're we're seeing the end of, you know, I mean, I don't want to say the end, but we're seeing certainly the twilight years of, of uh, you know, an era with Serena and Roger. And you could throw Andy Murray in there as well. I mean, it's... Uh, Yeah.
1: You alluded to Andy earlier against Chapavala. Yes, it was a nice performance, but it was also indicative that Andy is just not the same Andy Murray that we saw winning Wimbledon twice and winning two gold medals and winning the 2012 US Open. This is not that guy. And it's commendable that he wants to even try. But I don't think this is leading to a good place for him either. And he he, he'll he'll realize that I don't I don't think he'll be he'll know that he 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 felt that he had to give it a go but but the handwriting is on the wall right now
3: mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's so much hype now for the u.s open you know i i just i can't think of any other really major in recent history that's been this this captivating with all all the big three on 20 majors and you know with novak and the golden slam and career grand slam on the line that's it should be really exciting yeah. next few months. I mean, especially
2: yeah. <laughs> the US Open, because it's the last, I mean, right now the US Open is the last Grand Slam of the year. So not only it's the only opportunity that people have to take the Grand Slam and the, cl- the calendar Grand Slam, but there's so much more on the line now. Like, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's just going to be a really, really interesting Grand Slam, in my opinion, probably like we've never, in my generation, we've never seen.
1: No, you're right. Well, and in my from 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 my standpoint, rarely seen. As I say, when Borg came to New York, seventy-eight through eighty, there was an excitement because he won the first two, and Australia was at the end of the year, so you thought he might be heading for something like this. But then, of course, he didn't get through New York, and and he lost two finals in those three years, and that was that. But this is really this is remarkable because you know it's somebody that has been as Vance alluded to earlier already had 2 years where he won the three slams in 2011 2015 and now here he is coming to new york with the first three and the other thing that's interesting about it from his standpoint is we've seen him play eight finals in new york and lose five of them that's that's mm-hmm. really surprising given given jo- jokovich's hard court greatness and it is his best surface and you can say that australia maybe has suited him better and he's had a lot of night matches in australia which also he likes and maybe in some ways he's preferred that, that hardcore surface over there to the one in New York, you can make a lot of points about it. But if you look back over his record, you know, in 2007 in New York, he lost his first one to Roger. It was his first major final period. And he had, uh, you know, six, five forty 40 love in the first set, serving for the first set, five set points in that game and didn't win it and lost the set and two more set points in the second. And the next thing you know, he's lost in straight. And then he, comes back and loses to Rafa in 2010. Rafa was just too good. And then Novak wins it in 11, but loses the five set final to Murray in 12, which was in really vicious wins. And then he loses to Rafa again in 13. He gets the title back in 15, but Stan Vavrinka upsets him in 16. So, you know, you, you wouldn't, I would say he, he should have probably won at least two or three of the finals that he has lost. And obviously he did get a, a, another crown back in 18 over Delpo, And then he's had some bad luck the last couple of years that we know with in, in injury and having to retire against Fabrinka and then the freak incident, incident with the Lions woman last year that caused his disqualification. So you could look at it two ways. It's been kind of a jinx town in some ways, but he's still someone who's won it three times. He's still been in the eight finals and it's still his best surface. And maybe he's overdue. In my mind, he is overdue. To, ha- to be at peak efficiency in New York for the Open when he needs it the most. How do you guys feel about that? Are you expecting him to peak or not?
3: Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think there's more, more factors just thrown in New York, obviously with the, with the pressure, but also, like you said, the heat and the wind and you know, things like that. Maybe he'll have to deal with the conditions a little bit more uh, you know, than he would in, in Australia where he just it suits him down to the ground. But um, like you said, yeah, I think a lot of those finals, you know, definitely should have won at least two of those, um, especially. Of
1: course, just a quick interjection. We we have to keep in mind that like that incredibly windy day against Murray in 12, and it was pretty windy against Rafa in 13. But again, the the roof wasn't built yet. So Mm -hmm. now since the roof came in, even when it's not in use, having sat in that stadium so many times it's it's you don't get anything like the amount of wind that you're used to in there it's so it's only a question of mugginess sometimes it can be very muggy a little oppressive at times even when it's not necessarily that hot a day so you deal with that but Mm -hmm. you're not dealing with the winds which he tends to dislike so yeah you won't have to deal with those conditions, but anyway, finish your point. Sorry.
3: Yeah. No. And then and another thing that came to my mind is like that match against Fuksovich in the first round in 2018, Yeah. You know, conditions like that, just on a really, really hot day, yeah. Uh, humid day, like, you know, and then I'm just curious to see how the court speed will be because, you know, last year, obviously, and it was in Cincy, New York, and it was a little bit faster on the outer courts and, you know, you know, definitely a little bit of a different quicker, slicker surface than in previous years. And so, you know, I think that, could play a factor but he's so comfortable on all the hard courts on on any surface that he can play in anywhere he's so complete so
1: yeah exactly and then you know, if the courts are a little faster you know it it could be reminiscent reminiscent of Australia where he takes advantage of especially on his serve and serves 123 125 you know service winners aces quicker service games that that's possible too with quicker courts he can he can use his serve even more effectively so It'll be it'll be very interesting. But I do think that the, 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 there's no doubt the anticipation will be greater than it's been for any U.S. Open in a long, long time. And the fact that we have this historical moment upon us with a player mm-hmm. of Djokovic and going for that Grand Slam. And by the way, potentially with Rod Laver, uh, if, if Djokovic were to be in the final, I'd be very surprised if Rod Labor, someone at the tournament, didn't convince Rod to fly in to, to be there in the event that, that Djokovic won the Grand Slam.
2: Yeah, I think in in my opinion, yes, if is going to peak. Um, just one comment before before that is that it's interesting when we think of Djokovic as a three time winner in, in in New York, and because of his resume, it's such an aberration that he's also few of those in there. Um, but it's it's still it's still a good record that if we if we stop comparing to other tournaments, especially Australia, where he's just completely dominated. Yeah. It's still in, in in mostly in his favor, especially considering the the rest of the field right now. As we now say that there's not really one guy that is the main rival for Djokovic, um, pretty much in any surface really, aside maybe from Nadal on clay. Um Yeah. yeah. But um, I think if if he's going to peak, I would, I would I would I would pick him to pick to peak like he did mostly in Wimbledon, where he just kind of has moments in which he knows. That he can do something so that he applies the pressure points when he can uh, choke opponents, like you know, and he, and he gets to that point where he knows that he can be better, that he can apply the pressure more. Um, so for example, when he gets to um be serving up, uh, be uh returning at um well, he's serving at four five, and then he gets to like a five all point, he probably is going to apply more pressure and uh, at that point, and that's when I think we will see more of like a peak Novak. At, at, during uh, during the US open i'm not expecting him to cruise through uh the the whole tournament but i'm i'm thinking he's probably going to um be winning a lot of sets at uh, 7-5 and um 6-4 i'm not expecting too many of like 6-1 six 6-1s one, six and 6 loves. Um, no, you could, yeah, that, yeah.
1: that'll depend a lot on on the strength you know just how tough is his draw you're right true, yeah, but yeah. my my point that those are all very valid points mine is that I look at something like the Medvedev match in Australia and he's up a breaker mm. and Medvedev gets it back. And then they go to five all and Novak wins the set seven, five. And then he played two nearly perfect sets the rest mm. of the way. Had he, had he finished off Berrettini six, two in the first set of the Wimbledon final, I think that could have well been two, four and three. Mm. So I'm looking for some performances like that in New York. I, I think the potential is there, even if there's a seven, five set in the mix But where he wins in straight and plays very confidently from pretty much from beginning to end and getting back to Vonch's point and one that Djokovic uses about himself when he talks about his tennis a lot is swinging freely. And you know the difference with him. You can tell the difference when he's a little guarded and tense and and trying not and making sure not to miss as opposed to having the full conviction to hit out freely when the openings are there and go for the winners and make them. So I'm saying I'm kind of expecting to see more of that at mm-hmm. the open uh, on the hard courts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would tend to agree actually, like, especially if he's in a position that well, as you said, like when he gets to a position, like he, he could have been against Perattini. I think that he's going to be swinging maybe even more freely because he can sense the moment coming and he, he wants it so badly that he's probably going to feel and um, determination like no one like no one else on tour right now can feel so i can plus, i can definitely expect that for sure
1: yeah plus that in this and as great as he is he knows this opportunity is almost surely going to never come his way again i mean he can't just say to himself well if i don't get the slam this year i'll just go right back to work in 2022 and i'll get the first three again and come back you don't really expect to be in that position again uh next year even though he may well win you know two or three majors next year he doesn't expect to to have quite this kind of an opportunity and therefore that is something he needs to turn into a positive in his favor that he's going to take full advantage of it and that history is on his side and that he's created this opening and now he's going to cement it mm-hmm.
3: yeah and if you're talking about like you know winning comfortably and you know peaking and in big moments you know certainly there's like Three or four players that just don't mind going physically toe to toe with him, you know, guys like a Fucsovich or a, a Pablo Carreño Busta or Roberto Bautista Good. It's just that in those matches, Djokovic just knows he has that much that they have, and then more, and he, oh, knows yeah. he can he can win. But those are kind of the tests, like those are the barometers that you have to pass to win these majors now. And he feels like- right.
1: Bautista it's a kind of. I'm wondering whether maybe we we've seen his at his that he's slightly moving past his prime in yeah. the sense that uh, for den i thought going in that was almost a pick a match with dennis and dennis destroyed him now obviously dennis was playing some great tennis at wimbledon but i i i'm i'm i'm, I'm wondering about tista Gute. you're right there's no doubt that you know novak knows he can go out and could have a war against him anytime they play and you're dealing yeah. with a backboard and karina booster can be the same way but obviously he knows He's got much more offense in his game than they do in theirs, and that yep. he can turn that on. He can turn up the volume of his intensity and the pace on his shots, and and hit those guys off the court when the, when the chances are there. Once once he's in a position to win, he can do that. But you're right; those kind of players they're what you might call pests. They, you know, they can really they can really be a nuisance for Novak or anybody else, and make them stay out there a long time. But uh, whether that's going to be enough to stop in best of five, particularly in, in, at the open on hard courts is, is very questionable. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we've we've hit on everything and we've covered the field and Djokovic and we've, we've talked at length about Wimbledon and uh, everything, I guess something else that, you know, that's at play at the U S open is, you know, Serena going for number 24, which continues to be a storyline. Um, you know, so I guess, you know, with this, potentially be maybe the last chance for her to get that elusive. You
1: you could argue that she'd still have that up. Maybe, maybe Australia at the start of next year, but with each passing year, it's going to get tougher. What she did in 18 and 19 was truly remarkable. And even, even what she did to make the semis of the open last year and the semis of Australia this year. I mean, even that was, it was a great effort, but you have to believe that it gets tougher and tougher. And I just think that, the cast of players, the number of players in the top twenty who can beat her on any given day, is has has widened, and I just feel like you know that was bad luck at Wimbledon to be hurt like that, and you took the the, the slick grass in the early days like that with everybody falling on top of the injury that she already had, and she maybe she was doomed there. But yeah, I think to to get back to your question, it may be if it's not here in Australia, but it, it, it's getting to that point where she probably, her, her, her opportunities are, are going to be very, very few, and she has to seize them. And I think she understands that. She gets that. Yeah. That's why she's been a little depressed like she was after the Naomi match in Australia, and she waved to the crowd in Australia. She kind of knows, I better wave because I don't know if I'll be back. in. The, uh, maybe I'll play it again, but maybe I won't. And uh, she, she's philosophical about it, but I think very realistic about what she's up against.
3: Yep yeah and I you know you what don't.
1: interesting Vance just to add to that I think that her co- her coach is almost more effusive and and more optimistic sometimes than she is and he always thinks she's going to win and you know I remember talking to him about those four losses in the finals in 18 and 19 and and uh, and he and we talked about it I said but she didn't win a set in any he said but but those four players played the match of their lives each each of them played yes true but serena could not match it serena you know in 2000 the 2015 serena or some of the other years would have would have would have met that moment would have said okay you're giving me your best and i'm going to give you mine and you may push me and she would have come away winning 7-5 in the third in my in my opinion you yeah. know so it it'll be interesting no doubt again i mean she has a she has a whole different situation in new york completely opposite of jokovic every time she steps on the court the crowds are going to be cheering cheering her i mean there's going to be the noise will be ringing in her ears and yeah. that's that's a nice lift she'll get the best crowd support imaginable
3: absolutely and you know the women's game is is in, is in a great place right now, obviously, you know, with Bardi winning her second title. And then, you know, the cast of players and more players really establishing themselves now at the top. And it'll just be so interesting to really follow, even at the Olympics, because I believe a lot of the, even though a lot of the ATP players have pulled out, a lot of the WTA players leading the race are still, you know, contending and playing well. And Kojikova is on a great run. And, you know, you have, you know, Sabalenka and Bardi and Shwiątek. And Osaka, obviously, has done amazing in hardcore majors. And so just a lot of contenders out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, it'll be a good – the women will have a good open. There's no doubt about it. And, but I think it was great that Barty got her second major. Coming off the injuries, the disappointment of being hurt at Roland Garros and, and having some struggles in the early rounds and having a tough final against Pliskova, but coming through in three, I think that Ash is, is solidifying her position as a really great player and and someone who can wear that number one robe comfortably and deservedly.
3: Mm, yeah. I
2: was going to ask in, in terms of the uh, the women's draw, um, who who are the favorites, and do you think there's a little bit more competition in that draw than it is in, it is in the men's, and there is like a clear cut favorite, or is there maybe two, three, maybe more that could win the title potentially?
1: No, more. I think it's going to be like Wimbledon. We're going to we're not going to know much even at this when we get down to the sixteens of the quarters, and that's and I'm not knocking anybody. There, were, these are all first rate players but I don't think that it's going to be that obvious I think no I think there'd be at least six to ten that could win mm-hmm. the tournament when we see the draw we could easily find anywhere between six and ten players to make the case and go through their draws and present the scenarios w- which would lead them to victory and that makes mm-hmm. it intriguing but I I would like to see more of this continuity and some repetition here and that's why I was happy about Barty you know, you see new players emerge and you see Pliskova kind of reemerge after being in the finals of the U.S. Open in 2016 and back in another final. That's nice. But I, I think we need some repeat winners. And we got that with Barty following up on the French that she won a few years ago. So I kind of hope something like that unfolds in New York, whether it's Ash again or whether it's somebody else that uh, we so that we get some kind of order at the top some. Some sense that the, that the the leading players in women's tennis can do it over and over again. For Naomi's going to be going all all full force after her after what happened to her with Roland Garros and not playing Wimbledon, she may be even more determined to come back and defend her U.S. Open crown. And if she's playing well over the summer, see what she does in the Olympics and see what she does in the other hardcore events. She could well she may well be the favorite if she's playing well.
3: I think it's encouraging, though, that you have, you know, players winning their first major and then you have them at least getting to the quarters and round of 16 right away. I think that's the encouraging thing is that at least yeah. down you have Coco Gauff, who's been to the fourth round of every major besides the U.S. Open. And now she's coming back to a major where, you know, there was so much hype and Coco Mania in 2019. And now, you know, to to go back to kind of those memories again. And then you have, you know, Krajikova following it up with a fourth round here. And then yeah. you have Svantec, the only player who has made the fourth round of all three of the majors in the women's yeah. field. so.
1: Well, Spion, is she's she's very reliable because she's got such great ball control and a good return, a good head on her shoulders. I, I like her consistency, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Coco, I hope, is healthy for New York. Pull yeah. out of the Olympics is too bad, but maybe there's time that she's got to be feeling, you know, obviously with the heat in New York, the heat and the hard court, she's got to be 100% physically, and I hope she will be when the time comes.
3: Yeah. I mean, like you said, we could be here all day and there's just, there's so many storylines, even in the women, like players going for their first major and then you can throw in Pushkova in there and Sabalenka and Svidalina. It's like, we'll get there first. There's, there's just too much, there's just so much to follow. And there's so much intrigue and, you know, you've been so great with your time, Steve. And, and we just, both Andre and I can say this and Owen who's not here as well, but we just really appreciate these chats after every major.
1: Oh, it's-, well, nice. mm-hmm. it's always fun to chew on it with this kind of depth and, and so comprehensively and and I, I enjoy coming on and and talking tennis with you guys it was great fun
2: yeah i echo the sentiment from uh Vonch and thank you for your time and for being in my podcast for so many times already i was already very uh, happy that you came in the first time and that you've came in so many more it's just a joy to be here with you uh and talk tennis and ask questions um yeah thank you again and uh i guess we'll finish this podcast right now vansh do you want to Close that, up, close us out.
3: <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I think I think you you said it well, Andre. And you know, look forward to seeing you again soon, Steve. And you know, hopefully someday we can meet in person at at a major event sometime down the line. But uh, we'll we'll keep this up, and you know, have a have a great summer, and you know, enjoy the tennis. And I'm sure our listeners will will really love this.
1: Well, great. Thanks for having me on, and hopefully we can catch up again after the U.S. Open. So enjoy it, both of you. Enjoy that. Enjoy those two weeks. There'll be a there'll be a, a, a lot of there, there'll be a lot to savor, I'm sure, in that fortnight.
2: Yeah, we'll do same for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vansh, again uh, for being here and thanks for the listeners for sticking out for sticking to the podcast. And yeah. See you later. Bye.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands.